Well, if you would like to turn to page 1139, we'll be continuing our studies on the book of Romans. And uh, today, Alan is going to read to us chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Romans 12, chapter, Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. We're going to be looking this morning at uh, Romans chapter 12, as we have done last week and as we will be doing for the next few weeks. Very often when a preacher says it'll be useful to have your Bible open, it isn't really, to be honest. Um, you know, let's just be, be honest about it. Um, but this morning, I do actually want you to have a look at a particular verse, and it really will be useful if you, if you have your Bible, just at least for the first couple of minutes of, of what I'm, I'm saying, because there's something in particular I want you to look at. Okay. Shall we pray together then before I begin? Gracious God, you have made us as human beings a special part of creation. But in Christ Jesus, you have redeemed us and made us church, a special part of your human creation. And you're transforming us into the likeness of your Son individually and together. And so, as we come to think about this part of your Word, we pray for the inspiration and insight that only your Spirit can give, so that your Word might take root and grow in our hearts. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. Could you have a wee look at verse 1, please? Now, 
Some of you will have pew Bibles. Some of you will have brought your Bibles with you. Um, anybody have a Bible on a phone? Somebody maybe has a Bible on a phone. The interesting thing that I want you to, to look at is follow through the verse with me. This is from the, the pulpit Bible. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. I imagine we're pretty much on the same page so far. Yes? Yeah? This is your spiritual act of worship. Yeah? Or no? Anybody got? Okay, let, uh, well, let's go for a show of hands. This is your spiritual act of worship is what I have on the page in front of me. Anybody got anything different? It's a fair wee sprinkling of hands. I've got, I've got something different there. And when I was sitting over, over in the corner this morning, I, I picked up the Bible that was in the pew, and I had something different. I wonder what sort of things you've got there. Because if you look in the footnote to verse 1, uh, you will see the little footnote A, and you get the word reasonable there, certainly in, in, in the pulpit Bible, and I'm guessing the same, yeah, in, in some of the pew Bibles as well. So some translators, by and large, the bulk are saying it means spiritual. Some are saying it means reasonable. Now, that, that seems to be a fair difference between those two. Next couple of minutes, I'm going to, going to allow you to, or well, I'm going to show you something that will impress your friends greatly, okay? We're going to be looking at the idea of belonging together. But I want to introduce you to the word that lies behind the word that's translated spiritual or something else there. That's, that's the, what you would find in a dictionary if you're looking up, up that word. Okay? It's, it's a Greek word. But it also looks like an English word, doesn't it? Yeah. The, the first part of it looks like an English word. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're with me so far? Yeah. Well, let me give you some of the translations that you have in, in the English Bible. If you're working with a King James version, you'll have reasonable. The bulk of the pew Bibles have spiritual. Some Bibles, some of you maybe have rational. Anybody got rational? There's one or two translations of rational. And then the newer versions of the NIV have true and proper. Anybody got true and proper? Yeah, some of, the, some of the pew Bibles have got true and proper. So, what are we going to go for? Well, I'm going to, to, to go just with what seems to be most obvious. If you look at, the, at the, the original word, what's probably going to be the most obvious translation? Yeah, that, that's right. It's logical. Now, the reason most versions don't go for logical takes you back into Greek philosophy. Hey, this is just great stuff today, isn't it? <laughs> takes you back into Greek philosophy. And I'm going to take you very quickly from Greek philosophy. My, my apologies to a number of folk because I'm going to name names this morning. I'm taking you from Greek philosophy to Alfie Welsh in just one quick step. There's an ancient Greek philosopher who says this word log logical, let's just stick with logical, 
He said, when a swan swims, it's acting logically because it's doing what comes natural to a swan. It's just being a swan. Or when a sparrow chirps, it's acting logically. It's just doing what a sparrow does. So it doesn't have anything, anything to do with mathematics or uh, science. It's just doing what you naturally do. And that's Alfie's wee dog. If I'm, if I'm right, Alfie, isn't it? And that's a CD of Alfie's. <laughs> so is that a particularly wicked dog? No, it's just doing what a pup does. It sees something that looks as though it wants to be chewed, and it chews it. It's just natural to do that. So in verse 1, when Paul's talking about how we live as Christians, he's saying there ought to be a natural expression of who we are that is worshipful. The way in which we use our bodies and our minds as well, we can, we can bring those in as well. The way in which we live ought to be a natural expression of who we are as Christians. But he goes on in the rest of what he's talking about, in the rest of this chapter, to recognize that actually in the real world in which we live, we don't naturally act in righteous, holy, and good ways. We act in ways that are still a hangover from the old, way, uh, the old ways in which we lived. And that's why, as you read down through verse 2, he talks about renewing your mind. In other words, the way in which we think has to be changed. If we are to live this logical life, we have to break away from what is natural to those who are outside Christ and develop as we live a pattern of living that is natural to us who are in Christ. The natural way in which the world thinks has many characteristics. I'm just going to give you three quick characteristics. Um, one of the big changes between uh, the past generations and generations today is what happens when somebody brings out a camera or a camera phone. In days gone by, if somebody brought out a camera, we would have all gone. Now if somebody brings out a camera, everybody goes. <laughs> or something like that. Because it's all about look at me. The very heart of social media is look at me. Look at what I'm doing. But of course, it's not just look at me. The contemporary world says, like me. I don't want to just be seen by everyone, but I want a certain reaction from everyone. I want to be liked. I want to be popular. I want to be the one. Yep. Now, that's probably no different from previous generations. And we can't look at, at younger people and say, that's terrible. Because we all want to be liked. That's natural to what it is to be human. We want to be at the center of the world, of our own little world. Look at me. We want to be liked by everyone. And again, it's perfectly natural to humans to want to be winners. It's just everywhere. 
I read last week that uh, participation rates in sport in the United States are going down quite steadily. Why is that? Well, it's because sport is being coached by adults. Kids don't just go and kick a ball around anymore or throw a basketball through a hoop just for the fun of it. It's all organized. It's clubs. It's leagues. Everybody has to win, or at least try to win. And of course, those of us who don't win then are seen as failures and something's gone wrong. Because human beings instinctively want to win. And of course, thinking back you know, historically, it's, it's a survival mechanism, isn't it? We want to win in order to get the food that we need to survive or to have that particular patch of land or that shelter and we're fighting against um, other animals or other human beings. So that, that, that sense of I must win is core to what we are as human beings. So Paul is saying to us, no, this is not what it is to live as a Christian. And in a few minutes, we're going to tease out what it is, or I'm going to, in in, uh, three to eight, take a look at what it is to live as a Christian. But at this point, we're saying it's very different. And we need our minds to be renewed in order to live like this. So if we are to have our minds renewed, then let's come into today's verses, verses three to eight. What does he say about having our minds renewed? How do we actually go about this? For the grace given by me, I say to every one of you, and here's his first instruction, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of the faith God has given you. Very often in um, writings based on, on Hebrew, which is where Paul was coming from, the most important thing that he has to say is in the middle And I think it's like that in this verse. And that's why I want to start with the the idea of sober judgment. What is sober judgment? Well, I think we can can see what sober judgment means by looking at at the opposite of it. Um, I was in the airport on Thursday evening waiting for for Anne to, to arrive from London. And uh, there was a guy wandering around who came and, and stood beside me. And he was waiting for somebody to come from on the City of London flight. But he was drunk. He was seriously drunk. And I at one point said to him, I hope you're not driving. He said, no, 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 I have a taxi waiting outside. And we had about 20 minutes to wait. And then it was delayed and a bit more delayed. And he got a bit more annoyed and more annoyed. This taxi's cost me a fortune. And I saw a flight landing. I said, the bags are in the baggage hall. I said, well, well, they're just about to arrive now. And what did he say? I can't wait any longer. And off he went. (laughs) He had waited for at least half an hour. The folk were starting to come through, but... And that's not sober judgment, is it? That's judgment of a mind that isn't working properly. Now, I don't want to point the finger, but I may have to point a finger at a few people if you're not prepared to self-identify on this one. Back in the 80s, was the 80s your heyday, anybody? 
Yeah, I'm thinking of the men here. I'm looking around. Did you have a haircut like that? <laughs> come on, come on, be honest. Come on, Adam. <laughs> you just happened to catch my eye, Adam. <laughs> Anybody? No? Sober judgment, really? And I put that simply to, to, to be one trivial example of the whole notion of fashion. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's haircut or clothes or shoes or anything else. Fashion is madness. When you think about it for a second, it's absurd. But that's the way we think. And Paul is saying to us, no, move away from that. Exercise sober judgment. Now, it may not be something as, as trivial as a hairstyle. <laughs> the Americans chose their president. Uh, have you seen who the next president may well be? Yeah? Did you notice this week? Oprah. Now, it's not up to me to comment on American politics. We have enough to comment on our own politics, don't we? But sometimes as we look around, we think, are we genuinely exercising sober judgment in the big things of life? And Paul says to us here, you have to develop a sensible way of thinking or else life is just going to go pear-shaped. And this sober judgment, the first aspect of it is to set aside arrogance. Now, this is going back up the verse where uh, Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. What's the most important letter in the alphabet? Yeah, for most of us, it is simply that, because we think of ourselves really highly. Now, can I give you some reasons why we should not think of ourselves more highly? What's lying behind what Paul is saying? Why does he say this? Is it just because Christian humility is a good thing? Well, no, it's not actually because of that. It's a very practical reason. You may say, I know what I want. But what you want may not be wise. Right? Simple as that. You or I may say, I know what's best for me. But what you think is best for you may not actually be best for you. I know myself better than anyone else knows me. Well, that's not necessarily true. And when we begin to inspect ourselves more thoughtfully, we begin to see in the passage of our lives over the years how we've made foolish decisions, how we thought we knew what we wanted, how we thought we knew what was best for us, but actually, in reality, it wasn't. I'm not saying we get it wrong all the time. Of course I'm not. But frighteningly often, And again, there's a logic behind that. Now, I realize that's, that's all pretty um, small print, but any of you remember who said all that? Does that ring any bells with anybody? Donald Rumsfeld. And what Rumsfeld was talking about was actually very wise 
I'll not go through it all, of course. There are things that we don't know. Some of those things, we know that we don't know them. But then towards the end, he says, there are some things that we don't know, but we don't even know that we don't know them. And that's, that's right, isn't it? We don't even know that we don't know them. So when I is at the center, when it's all about me, when it's all about I know myself, I know what I want, I know where I'm going, that's just wrong. And Paul here is recognizing this by setting each individual in the context of the Christian community. Here's another one. Neither you nor I know how other people see us. We think we know how other people see us, but often we're not right. You and I don't know how we affect other people. So actually, we affect other people. We don't know. We think we know how we affect other people, but we don't really know. So if we're going through life and we're saying, I will make all the decisions about my life from my perspective. I am the captain of my ship. Remember that? If that's our approach, then that leads to disaster for Christian communities, and it can lead to disaster for Christian individuals. Maybe not the disaster of a life that utterly falls apart, but the small disaster of a life that's wasted, or that could have if only I'd been more thoughtful, if only I had listened, if only... So we ask ourselves questions. How mature am I as I'm a Christian? How strong is my faith in adversity? How capable am I of answering those questions for myself? Next little phrase that I want to, to draw your attention to is again in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to the young people among you. No, if you've still got the text, you'll know that's not what it says. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. So Paul is not here talking to young Christians, either those who are young in years, in, in years or those who are young in faith, having come to faith later in life. He's not talking to young Christians. He's talking to all of us. No matter how long you've been a Christian, Paul is talking to you and to me when he's saying your mind needs to be renewed. You need to lay aside the arrogance that believes only you know best and live in the light of the Christian community. And before I show the next slide, I have to say uh, to the women, control yourselves. All right? Now, just take a look at it for a second. It's, it's clearer on the small screens, I think, than on the big screens. Ringing any bells? <laughs> it's ringing bells with at least two people. Ringing bells with anybody else? No? Well, okay, let me, let me point out a few folk to you. The guy on the, on the far right with the hat on, 
you won't probably recognize. Few of you will recognize. His name's Peter. He now worships in uh, Stormont. Would the guy on the far left stand up, please? Go ahead, Brian. That's Brian on the far left. That's okay, Brian. You can sit down again. <laughs> oh, and the guy facing Brian, stand up, please. Yep, that's Clifford. Down there. And the guy who's uh, already standing looking out at the camera is already standing in front of you. (laughs) That was a picture taken about 1974 or thereabouts. Some of you will have read of it in your history books. About 1974. Yeah, yeah, it's depressing when your daughter says to you, what was it like in the olden days, Daddy? Yeah, you've had that experience. Brian... Were you playing for Crusaders round about that time? Yeah. He was. Shortly after that, probably wasn't about that time, Clifford, but shortly after you were leading the junior section of the, of the BB for a lot of years. Yeah. Round about then I was, I was modeling. <laughs> for, uh, for toilet brushes. That's about, uh, it's over 40 years ago. To assume that Paul was saying to us in 1974, fellas, get your act together. Think of who you are. Think of where you are. On you go. And then 40 years later, we're still there. And Brian's still saying, why are the crew's not picking me these days? Wouldn't there be a madness to that? So when Paul says, every one of you, he's talking to all of us. So the process of renewing our minds is not a once and for all thing. The process of stepping aside from arrogance into sober judgment and looking at our lives and asking questions is not once for all. It's a regular pattern of living so that at each stage of life, All of us here are saying, Lord, renew my mind. Lord, what am I like? Lord, how do I fit in? And I'm going to come to that just now. So Paul says, renew how you think. He says, think with sober judgment according to the grace of God the measure of faith that God has given to you. And as you go that measure of grace and that measure of faith, keep on going. God keeps on giving. You keep on developing so that at every stage of life, you're going through this process time and time again. But it's not just about individuals, of course. He's saying this is taking place in the context, as you see, of the whole community. And the metaphor that he uses is a metaphor that Paul has used elsewhere, as as you well know, and you'll be be more familiar, I'm sure, with his use of it in 1 Corinthians. And it's it's the body metaphor. Oh, how I wish that was me 20, 30 years ago or whenever. But Paul says the church is like a body, sometimes like, like this body, toned, fit, healthy, strong. 
but sometimes not like that at all. But what's the point of what Paul is saying here about how the body works? It's this idea of the one as part of the body, the individual as part of the body, both contributing to the body and allowing the body to contribute to the individual's life. So Paul says there is a place for you in the body. Each member belongs to the other. This is verse, verse 5. Oops, sorry. In verse 5 towards the end. Each member belongs to all of the others. He has said individually, grace given by, by God to each of you as individuals, but it can't stop there because we are what we are together. And folks, like it or not, we are what we are together. In this fellowship, as in every Christian fellowship, we are what we are together. And we have our contribution to make to what we are together. But we also have something that we can only be through learning from each other, through taking from each other, through allowing other people access to our lives to influence us in ways that may be uncomfortable but are absolutely necessary. You're one body. We're one part. And this should be natural to what we are. It's logical. It's how God has created us to be what we are together. One body, many parts, all different. So that each has a unique function. Each has a role to play. That's, that, that's verse 4. Each, if I can put that another way, each has a unique place. Each has a logical place. Can I put that in, in, in one more way? Um, each has a U-shaped place. Now, of course, that's not U as in the letter. It's the three letters. It's the Y-O-U. Each of us has a me-shaped place. Each of you has a U-shaped place in which only you, and here's the fantastic thing, in which only you will be comfortable. You see, we don't often think of Christianity like this. We, we tend to think of, of developing our faith and growing in our faith as always moving outside our comfort zone. Isn't that one of the phrases? Yeah. Actually, Paul's saying here, the best place for you to be is the place where you're most comfortable. That's logical. That's where we started in verse 1. And doesn't it make sense? If God has pulled us together as a community, if God has formed us individually as individuals, well then it's absolutely sensible to say there's a me-shaped place. And I will find comfort and satisfaction and growth and value in that me-shaped place. And of course, reaching back to what I just said a minute ago, that me-shaped place will change as as time goes on. So you may have found your me-shaped place when you were 17 here, or 27, or 37, 47, but when you get to 57, that me-shaped place may well have changed. And I'm guessing, actually, for most of us, as you look back at your life, you'll say, I'm right enough. Because when I was 17 or 27, I was doing this or that. 
Well, in the next few years, I was doing something else, and now I'm doing something different. I want to say, great, that's probably the way God meant it to happen for you, rather than doing the same thing for the whole of your life. The U-shaped place changes because you change shape, not just physically, of course, but spiritually, as we grow and as we develop in our faith. And so Paul says, look for the gifts of grace. As you're looking for your place, look for the gifts of grace that God has given to you. Now, this is, this is a sermon for, for a lot longer, so I'm, I'm only going to rush through this very, very quickly in no detail at all. Can I suggest to you a number of different types of gifts of grace that you can keep your eyes open for? Some are gifts of grace that God has given to you because of how you were formed in the womb, who you are genetically, how you were formed as you grew up through childhood and so on. Those gifts that are formed in you naturally as a gift of His common grace. Secondly, there are gifts of grace that God has given to you spiritually that you may or may not have discovered. They may be linked to those natural gifts. Some of them may be a bit different. So when Paul goes through his list that he has from verse 5 onwards uh, through 6 to, to 8, in that list of gifts, some bear strong connections to what we are naturally. Some look a bit different. And it's even more obvious in the Corinthian letters. But another type of gift that's well worth thinking about, especially for those of us who are, are, are moving on in life, there's some gifts of grace that we only have when we've been through dreadful times, difficult times, times that given a free choice we really would not have gone through. There are some gifts of grace that are only there because we've been through pain. And if we look back to the past, maybe that frames it a bit differently. Or if any of us are looking at life now and saying, actually, Drew, yep, let me take that away and think about it. There are some gifts that are only formed through pain. And these gifts, some of them, sorry, I didn't move on, mean to, to move on to that slide. Some of these gifts are temporary and some of them are permanent. Some of them are more useful when we're young than when we're older. That's why you can't stay in that place. Some of them are public and some of them are private. Some of them we will use in our employment. Some of them we use in our family. Some of them we use in our leisure time. Some of them we use in the specific things that God has called us to do in this fellowship. Identifying your gifts is the logical thing for you and me to do together. Four people. My granny, my Aunt Jean, uh, J.W. Orr, whom some of you will remember was minister in, in this church, and David Clark, former moderator who was assistant minister in this church. What do they have in common? 
Forgive me for, for another personal illustration. They all knew that God was calling me to be a minister before I did. Or they all accepted it perhaps before I did. And to listen to them, and I, I, I confess the story of my life is unwillingly listening to them, was so necessary for God to take that pattern of gifts that He had given to me and by His grace use them. And by His continuing grace, I pray to continue to use them. And so we have our gifts of grace. And we help each other to find our gifts of grace as we look at each other, as we talk with each other, as we make suggestions to each other, as we allow each other, and this is perhaps leaders I'm talking to, or, or parents perhaps, as we allow each other to have a wee go and see if that really is a gift, to, to try it out in a place of safety, and to have that wonderful experience, a fantastic experience of failing and knowing it's all right to fail. And having somebody come alongside you and say, hey, that's okay, come on. Let's, let's now, let's see what we can do about that. Let's start along a different route. Or let's actually keep going here, but, but change what you do a little bit. Or let's, let's, come on, let's go together as we identify the gifts that God has given to us. And as we identify those gifts, we find the logical place that God has for us the logical place in God's plan for. Now, how are you going to finish that sentence? How are you going to finish that sentence? Just think in your mind. I'm not, not going to ask for, for answers because I imagine the first one's going to be wrong. Okay? How would you finish that? Very often a sermon like this would tend to finish with a reversion to the individual. Have you found the logical place and God's plan for your life. And I could finish it like that. How's it going to finish now? Well, when I asked this, this uh, of a couple of other folks, I got a couple of interesting answers. What I thought they were going to say was, have you found your logical place in God's plan for His church? Actually, somebody said, for his glory. And I thought, I right enough. Why didn't I think of that? And that, that, that is absolutely true. But when we're thinking about how God has formed us, how God has shaped us, go back up to verses 1 and 2. Because God, or, sorry, Paul is not talking about inside the church at that point. He's talking about God's place for you in his plan for the world. And this is why it all comes together for the teenagers among us who are working out, what am I going to do next? Or if you're coming to that place in your life where you're thinking, yeah, there's a job change or moving house or anything really, to look for the God-shaped place at this point in my life for what God is doing in His world that he has called us to embrace together as his people. And yes, for his glory. Shall we pray together? Now we are, are quiet as we pray. 
and we reflect, and we ask, Lord, will you show me more clearly how you have formed me? Show me my spiritual shape, the gifts, the faith that you've given to me. Lord, will you show me the me-shaped place that you have formed for me? As I think about what I'm going to do next year at school, as I think about university, starting a job, as I think about my frustration at work and whether I should be thinking of a change, as I think about my relationships. Lord, what have for you now that I've just retired? What do you have for me? Where's that me-shaped place? Lord, after that disaster that has happened to me, after the shambles that I've made of that, after the hurt that he or she or they brought to me. Lord, will you show me the me-shaped place? And in all of these things, Lord, will you help us to think with sober minds, to think with clarity, together, to allow those whom you have put into our lives access so that we can talk with freedom and openness and confidence that we are loved and confidence in my brother's and sister's confidentiality. So gracious Lord, for the days, weeks, months, years that lie ahead of us, May we know the joy of living in the logic of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We come to God with our prayers of intercession. Shall we pray together? Father, we come to you this morning, and as we come to you with our prayers of intercession, as so often we pray generally, but we also individually allow our minds to think of particular people in particular circumstances, and we pray for them also. Our God, we pray for your church. We pray for your church here in this particular place, and we pray for your church in places throughout the world with which we have a special fellowship, a special friendship, a special relationship. We pray for your people in those churches as they bear witness as far away as Japan, Central Africa, 
Central and Eastern Europe. Gracious God, we pray that on this Sabbath that they might have rest and refreshment. We pray that they might know along with us the fellowship of being in Christ. Our God, we pray that they together might find your place for them in their society as fellowships. And that they might, along with us, upbuild each other so that as individuals, each one in those fellowships might find the place that you have for them. And we pray with particular poignancy and perhaps urgency because we recognize that in each of the places where we have brothers and sisters in Christ in special relationships, it, it just is more difficult for them. For some, more difficult to put uh, bread on the table. For others, more difficult to bear witness in a hostile society that is powerfully affluent. And so we pray for them. Will you give them the grace that they need to find your place individually and together? And to live in that place, which while it may be the most comfortable, is by no means actually comfortable. Father, we also pray for those who have lost their way. We pray for those who used to know their place, who used to know that comfortable place, but seem not to know it any longer. Perhaps for some who used to worship with us, but no longer do. Perhaps for some who are close to us, who have drifted in their faith. Gracious God, will you by your Holy Spirit breathe new life, new hope, new vision, Lord, a new logic into their lives so that they might find your place for them among your people in your world. And so we pray also for your world. We pray for this little corner of your world, for the other little corners of your world that are represented by many folk here, even to the very far side of the world. For each little corner we pray. For local politicians, for local people of significant influence because they are wealthy. For local people who have great influence because they are popular. They have celebrity status. They have a place in government. We pray, gracious Lord, not only for them, but for those in particular who are Christians living in those places of influence, here, throughout the world. And we pray, gracious Lord, for those of us who have influence over the influencers. We pray that we too might be wise as we converse, as we write, as we respond. And again, for your people everywhere, as we seek to influence in the corridors of power, Corridors of school, in industry, in local communities, in family. 
Give us your wisdom so that we might use your gifts in your way and for your glory. So gracious Lord, hear our prayers this morning. We pray as we always do for those who are weak, for those who are ill, for those who are fearful, for those who are lost, for those who are lonely. Lord, hear us and by your grace answer our prayers. And we offer ourselves to you to be the answer to our prayers in the lives of those who are close to us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.